I am Sherry Fletcher, and this is your spiritual game plan, change. It's something that happens to all of us. You've invested your time and energy into an important role, sometimes for years, and then suddenly it's time for you to move on. Maybe you've worked hard on a dream, and now your path is taking a new turn, but that dream isn't going with you. Perhaps you've raised your kids and they've moved on, but now your empty nest is filled with parent care. Or maybe you're in the middle of diaper changes and laundry piles. If you find yourself asking questions like, where do I fit in anymore? Am I even relevant? How do I find my purpose now? You are in the right place. This is the show for women in a season of transition I believe that while your roles in life will change, your purpose is eternal. I'm here to help you understand just how intentionally you were made by a creator with a game plan. Together, we'll discover ways to help you unlock the purpose God's placed in you, develop a game plan for your life's calling, and embrace the intentional masterpiece you were created to be. Hey guys, today I am speaking with my friend Rachel Lewis and her book Unexpected Real Talk on Pregnancy Loss comes out today. So congratulations to Rachel and her labor of love in getting this book out today. If you or someone you love has lost a child at any stage of life from pregnancy to adult, this book is such a wonderful guide through that grief process. Rachel has personal insight from experiencing five miscarriages, as well as a unique grief when she had to reunite a foster son with his birth family. All these experiences have equipped her to walk alongside those who need the comfort. She is the founder of an online community that offers support to thousands of bereaved moms called Brave Mamas. She's also a contributor to Standing Still Magazine and Pregnancy After Loss Support. And today, Rachel and I will be discussing how to have a game plan in place for when those triggers come, and also how to plan ahead for when words that are spoken actually hurt more than they help. I know you're going to be blessed by our time together. And while you're listening, if someone comes to mind who could use Rachel's message, will you share this episode with them? Thank you. Now let's get started with how to get through the unexpected, real talk on pregnancy and child loss. Hi, Rachel. I am so glad you're joining me from my home state of Washington. How are you today? Good, Sherry. Thank you so much for being on. I'm so excited to be talking with you today. Well, today's a big day because you're having, (laughs) if I understood, you're having a pretty big party tonight, right? Yes. Today is my book launch party. Official book launch is August 10th, but um, we wanted to have my sister celebrate with us. And so we're having an early official book reading, book signing, fundraising event, and book launch all at the same time. That is awesome. And then when this podcast actually airs, it will be August 10 and it'll be the launch day. So this is exciting. And I'm so glad I get to talk to you. I met you at a speakers conference and I'm not trying to think back. Is it like three years ago, maybe? Oh, goodness. Um, Probably. Yes, I think so. And then we lived within a couple hours of each other and I never got to see you. (laughs) But now, now we're a couple states away, so I'm glad to have this time. Um, so we are talking about your book um, that is coming out in a couple weeks called Unexpected. And I am so excited that you get to talk about this, but I would love if you would share before we get started, share a little bit about your family and a little bit about you. And then what has this summer been like in the Lewis home? Oh, goodness. Okay. Um So the Lewis home, I mean, I'll answer your last question. The Lewis home for the summer, it has been, um, it's been, it's been a lot of like back to back 
um, we took a very impromptu trip to Florida so that my daughter could see her best friend who moved right before quarantine started. And so um, three days after we got back, my sister came. And then of course, we've been trying to get everything together for the launch event and then the actual book launch on August 10th. So um, it's flying by much faster, much, much, much faster than I wanted to. I, I think that's of every summer. But, uh, sure. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm so not ready for pandemic school to start again. <laughs> so, um, and then can you, can you repeat your first question? I love that you shared a little bit about your family and then kind mm -hmm. of what was going on in your household, but um, how many kids do you have and, and exactly where about it is that you guys are living in Washington? Is it the Northern? You're up North, right? Uh, yeah, kind of, yeah, we're, um, right across the water from Seattle. So we are literally just a ferry boat ride away, um, from downtown Seattle, which is really fun. And, uh, I currently have three kids and that's always such a weird thing to say, but as a foster family, that number has fluctuated quite a bit. It's definitely, uh, my journey to parenthood has not been a straight line of just, of just adding kids. And so, um, currently we have three children in our home. Um, we have, um, our oldest, uh, who just started middle school and then our youngest who's late stage elementary and then, uh, our preschool, um, daughter. So we've got just kind of a range range of ages there that's been really it's been really fun so those ages that that is fun I do remember those so I I have fun asking a couple of questions that aren't on topic and one okay. is that I found out that you are a Netflix binger is that binger? <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah, know sure yes you, I don't know when you have a chance to watch Netflix but what is it that you have recently binged on <sighs> okay um I will say my my Netflix binging has definitely decreased recently with all of the uh, extra work that's gone into things. Um, I struggle with insomnia some, so that tends to be when I get my my binging in, or when I'm doing. I like to listen to TV shows while I'm doing like housework. For some reason, it just makes it a little bit less like a chore. So uh, I have been watching the latest season of Grey's Anatomy recently um which i haven't actually decided if i like this season or not actually um like i'm kind of invested in the characters but it's also like pretty heavy this year so um anyway so that's sort of my guilty confession because <laughs> i know i know a lot of people don't really like grace anatomy but um that has been my recent and then i think virgin river is on my next next thing to do Oh, I've, I'm all caught up on Virgin River. Oh, you are. Yes. That one is really up. good. That one's yes, really good. That's, that's a fun one. And I love all the baking shows. If I need to de-stress, like, like the great British baking show is like, that is my comfort. <laughs> it's like a comfort blanket, right? <laughs> Just everyone's so calm and nice and happy. So I like, I like them quite a lot. I'm not a good baker and I don't enjoy it. So I don't know those kind of shows. I'm like, oh, I could never do that. So yeah. <laughs> I just figure it's a way to enjoy baking without all the calories. So <laughs> I like that. So one question I like to ask all of my guests is looking back in your yes. life, how far back can you go to see the very purpose that you are living out today in who you have always been? That is such a good, deep and thoughtful question. Um, Okay. How far back? Um, I guess pretty far. Uh, almost preschool age, probably I can remember being sort of fascinated by pregnancy. And I can remember, you know, even sticking a popple up my shirt when we were playing and pretending to be pregnant. And um, so I guess, I guess that's as far back um, as far as purpose goes. I do remember in elementary school, um, I read a book about an abused child. And I don't know that my parents probably even knew that I was reading kind of that level of material. Um, but it just stuck, stretch, it just uh, struck such a chord with me in 
in that, I think from that moment, I read that book, I knew that I was going to adopt. And so that really was the seed that sort of um, prompted me to adopt and also uh, foster like that that's something I had actually already planned on being a part of our family story before I even knew that I had any pregnancy struggles whatsoever. Um, and then I also remember in seventh grade, I did a writing project and it was like a poetry. And I remember just thinking, hmm, I really like this. Maybe I'm going to write a book someday. <laughs> so um, that's probably as far back as I can remember. I love that. And I love to, I love thinking about it for myself, but having people when they're, when they're saying to me, I don't really know what my purpose is. Let's look, look back at what you, what are you doing today? And look back as far back as you can to see how you've already been doing that. And God planted those seeds. Right. He created us when he wove us together. He knew what we would be doing to further his kingdom. And he made it a part of who we are. And I just love listening to all the stories on that. So mm -hmm. thanks for sharing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, your book is out there. I remember when I yes. met you at the speakers conference, I remember you kind of talking and sharing a little bit about it. So I'm so excited mm -hmm. to have been able to kind of see this happen. And you did not let the 23 rejections stop you. That is yes. so important to think about. <laughs> but the timing, you know, the, the mm -hmm. one person that said yes, and the timing that this book is out, it has impacted not only me, it has impacted those who I have shared it with. So I, mm. I can say this is God's timing. And now I'm excited that I get to be one of the first people to help you introduce it. So thank you. Mm -hmm. And you describe yourself as the friend others hope to never need. I, mm. I agree. I hope I never need you in that capacity because that is so true. And your book is covering pregnancy loss. Um, it, I also I like how you share other people's story of infant loss. I have friends who have lost children. Um, they've had stillborn and I have friends who have lost children in their late twenties, early thirties. And I think this book is so relevant to anyone that has endured such a loss. And I would love mm -hmm. if you just give us a little introduction into your story of loss. Sure. Sure. So, um, when, when I first found out I was pregnant, we were only about 10 months into our marriage and, um, it was very much a surprise. I had just started my writing career. So I, um, I didn't quite feel ready. And we, uh, you know, we had, we had a big, we had a big scare. We went in at about eight weeks and the doctor said I had a 50, 50 chance of miscarrying. And so I, uh, you know, went home that he really, they, they didn't tell me there was anything I could do, but I just needed to do something. So I put myself on bed rest and called into work and, uh, a uh, long story short, uh, you know, even though we had such a high scare, um, we, I was able to give, to give birth, uh, and it was a very complicated and, and, and traumatic birth. Um, but in the end, my daughter was, was alive. And so I had remembered, you know, back at eight weeks, everybody, already before even, you know, lost her, people were saying like, well, it just wasn't meant to be, or, um, you know, when it's really God's timing, this will happen. Um, or this is just nature's way of taking care of babies that aren't healthy. And so here I had this beautiful, healthy baby girl in, you know, and she was alive and, uh, it was like, I just, this overwhelming sense of, I almost missed this, um, that I ha I've had for, my entire daughter's, uh, daughter's life. Cause we, we actually could have lost her at birth as well. And so, um, so I just sort of had this idea, I think just going into our next pregnancy that, uh, I just could relate. I could just relate what was happening in my body at the time with like, you know, this is the real person. And if I, if I lose this baby, I have lost a lifetime with a person that I know that I love. And so when we did get pregnant, uh, the second time and they did lose that pregnancy, um, baby, I named Olivia to a ruptured ectopic pregnancy. Um, I was sort of thrown into this life that I didn't expect. I kind of, do you know, those movies where it's like a, a, a time travel movie, right. And we've got this, like, here's, here's your, 
here's the timeline that's supposed to happen. And then here's this inciting event. And it like the big drama is you don't want to like start this other timeline. Well, I kind of felt like that's what happened when I lost my baby is I was suddenly thrust onto a timeline and onto a life that I didn't want. And that I, that wasn't how things were supposed to play out. And, um, it was shocking. I felt alone. I felt forgotten. I felt abandoned. I felt betrayed by God. Um, I felt under like misunderstood by my loved ones around me. Uh, sometimes I say I felt like a stranger in my own body. There, there was so much of myself I didn't recognize um, following that loss. And and really, ultimately, uh, we experienced the total of five pregnancy losses um, over five years of trying. All of those were in the first trimester, and uh, it was it was a very very difficult season. We also um, our first call for an adopt uh, for a foster child was going to be an adoptive placement, and right before we were able to bring the baby home from the hospital, we had the diaper bag packed, we had her car seat installed, we had everything ready to go, just waiting on the call to go pick her up, and we got a call that instead said, um, I'm so sorry, and I don't know how to explain this, but the social worker changed her mind and she picked a different family. And so um, so we had sort of this adoption that we thought was going to happen, uh, not happen. We were able to adopt um, our middle daughter, which was a beautiful and very, very redeeming, um, redeeming event and experience and, and relationship in so many ways. Um, I think for both of us, you know, both of us came to that relationship with trauma and, uh, you know, sort of working through that together and, and navigating through that together. Um, I think, you know, just having that safe context for that, it's been really, really important for both of us. And then we had a foster son that we have now had twice and reunified twice. So we have, we have had him um, a total of three and a half years. Um, and we just walked through our most recent reunification of him last summer. And then finally, we have our uh, little rainbow baby who is now preschool age, which I just cannot believe that she is, she is that, that old already. So, so yeah, so when I say it is really complicated, when you ask how many kids I have, that's, that's why I just <laughs> definitely has been a roller coaster. Yeah, well, I love getting the history of, of your story and, um, and your family. So thank you on that. So the introduction of your book is an instant, I mean, it instantly grabbed me, um, because it, it opened your eyes immediately to this loss that you had. And you state that when you lose a child, especially an infant or in pregnancy, and people act like you lost the potential of a baby or a near miss kid. I, I, when you said it that way, a near miss kid, an almost kid, I mean, it just, it just sat so heavy on my heart. So what is it that, a, that you lost or you know, a listener that has experienced this, what is it that they've actually lost? Well, I mean, they, like I said, they've, they've lost, they've lost a lifetime with a child, um, with a child they love. And yeah, um, you know, I wrote in the book, time, time opens as many fresh wounds as it closes or as it heals. And, and it's these, it's the idea of these secondary losses, right? Like maybe, maybe a woman's experienced a miscarriage and maybe she's at a moment where she feels, you know, some some sense of just, I've come to terms with this, like not that it doesn't hurt her or it's not upsetting or grieving, but she's just sort of in a moment of like, okay, this is part of my story. And then um, all of a sudden she drives by an elementary school and she sees all the little kindergartners lined up with their cute little backpacks. And she realizes that should have been me. That should have been my baby. Um, and so it's this idea of like, sometimes you just, you don't know what you've lost until you're in the moment. And then you realize, you know, um, or you're at a holiday event and your child is not included. There's not a stocking hung for them over the fire. There's not presents for them under the tree. Um, or you're at the Thanksgiving table and you, rec you know, you recognize there's, there's an empty chair where there should be 
where there should be your baby. And so you just, it's, it's, it's like you walk around with this, this, um, that alternate reality of, of what, what you thought life would look like. Right. And then, and then there's moments where it just becomes so clear, you know, what's lost. And, you know, the converse of that is that there's so many times in which you say like, I don't know what I lost. Mm-hmm. Like I, which is its own grief. I don't know what my child would have looked like. I don't know the color of her eyes. I don't know if she would have called my, you know, my mother, like grandma or mama or Mimi or, you know, like, I don't know if she would have been good at sports or music, or I don't know what her babies would have looked like. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's all this ambiguous loss that's also wrapped up um, in the loss of a child. And I do think, you know, we, we sort of treat pregnancy with like, like on the one hand, we look at a pregnant woman and we, if she is fully and healthfully, you know, pregnant, we look at her and we affirm her love for her baby. We talk about this child already existing and we talk about it as a baby and we, um, you know, just, just really affirm that relationship. And then the moment that baby is gone or the, the baby dies and the pregnancy has ended, we, we sort of shift gears, I think, par- partially just to protect ourselves, just to say like, oh, well, you lost the potential for a baby or uh, you, you know, that wasn't, the baby wasn't fully developed yet or you were only so many weeks. Like we, we almost sort of discounted a little bit. And I think, I think that's to protect our own psyche from, from recognizing the magnitude of the loss, but at the same time, that is so, uh, I don't want to say just, it's not disingenuous, but it it just disc, it discounts her experience. Um, so, so yeah. Yeah. No, I love hearing that from, from you having gone through the loss and, um, and me having to admit some of those thoughts did enter my mind when some of my friends did lose um, either a pregnancy, uh, an infant, where you're thinking, okay, well, you know, y- you want to move on, you want to make it better, you want, and and you just don't think what they're what they're sitting there losing. So when I read that, I just thought, oh wow, that just makes it so real, and mm-hmm. so gives me such a great insight into what my friends um, and loved ones have gone through. Your mm-hmm. book, I love that it's written in four parts. You break us down the loss, the lament, the love, and the legacy. Mm-hmm. And after each section, I loved your journal prompts. I really did. They asked such great, uh, or they gave you such a great way to think about it. Um, and even if the listener has not lost a child themselves, um, I would guess that many of us have a friend or a family who has lost a child because we, and, and those of us that haven't lost a child have faced a loss. And what I loved about these journal prompts is they kind of gave um, me permission to um, say, yeah, I hate it when such and such happens, mm-hmm. or um, mm-hmm. this makes me mad, or, you know, gave to mm-hmm. really put that down into words and to see it on paper. And the journal prompts are so profound. And I would love if you would just give us a glimpse into a little bit of glimpse into each one of those four sections. Yeah. So, um, so uh, what's, what's sort of interesting about, about the sections and sort of how they came about, I went to my Facebook page and I said, if I were going to write, or if I were to speak for a weekend on this topic, what would you hope that I would cover on pregnancy loss? And so what I, what I did is I, I got just so many responses. And so I literally went down with a, you know, printed them out, literally cut them out, set them all over my living room floor and then said, okay, what's the common, what are some of the common themes that are running through these these uh these topics that the people have come up with and so then then that is i i start forming them and that's how the chapters came and then i looked now at each chapter i put a chapter title on wrote it on literally got my little kids glue stick out started putting down the pieces you know each one of those topics so then i had my chapters here literally cut and pasted and uh then i said okay i said okay like what what are what are the themes 
like how, how, how do each of these make sense and correlate with each other? And so love, loss, lament, and legacy, that's, um, that those, those themes sort of came, came from that. And, uh, so loss that, that first section that really is meant to meet a grieving parent right where they at in the first days or weeks, uh, following a loss. And so, um, it's a little bit less research heavy, a little bit more principle based, a little bit shorter of a chapter. And it is very, it is meant to be very, very affirming, uh, just to sort of give the reader permission to feel everything that they need to feel, um, to think the things that they need to think, to say the things they need to say, um, in light of this loss. And it also just addresses the very, you know, a couple of the very real things as, you know, such as taking care of your, your body, um, taking care of your heart, taking care of your mind. So, um, that is the first section. And then lament, that is where we really get into the nitty gritty of grief. Um, what, you know, what, what does grief look like? How has, has, um, how is, how is this loss really going to affect your body? Not just the pregnancy loss, but the grief as well. How is this really going to affect your mind, affect your mind? And, and what are you sort of at potential risk for? And how do you sort of navigate between what is postpartum depression and what is grief? Um, talk a lot about the soul. Like, how do you embrace that wrestling with God and, and saying like, yes, I am. I am lamenting and, and to accept that. So that's really, really, you know, I really, really hone down on what grief is and then specific to uh, pregnancy loss. Love is how do I experience this loss within the context of community? Um, how do I reach out to other people and how do I allow other people to reach out to me? How do I ensure that I have the support that I need and communicate that to other people? How do I walk my loved ones? So I'm grieving, you know, how do I walk my child through the loss of her, you know, baby sister, she didn't get to meet. Um, how do I walk my, my rainbow baby um, through, you know, through this, this story of like, you know, Olivia is a part of our lives. Like as she has questions, how do I sort of navigate that? How do I interact with my, my spouse and my significant other? So that's really like grieving in the context of community. Um, and then legacy is, okay, so now what? <laughs> so now we have this loss. We're on this timeline that we never wanted to be on. We can't go back. Um, what does this look like for us moving, moving forward? And I want to clarify, you know, moving forward, meaning moving forward with my baby, with this experience, not moving on away from my baby or away from my experience. So how do I take this experience and, and integrate it into our lives? And how do I find some hope? How do I find some purpose while also still affirming um, and not judging my grief? And how do I grieve for the long-term? What could that look like? And how do I, if I want to adopt, or if I have loss after loss, if I have infertility after loss, or if I go on to have a pregnancy after loss, what kinds of things am I, you know, could I, could I expect and sort of should I prepare for? So, um, and then last, how do I, how do I create a legacy for my baby if I want to? So that is, uh, that's sort of the rough, rough draft, I guess, or like the rough overline of what a reader would expect when they came to my book. Yeah, it's really good. I love the the leaving of a legacy. I want to ask a couple mm -hmm. questions about later on down the road here, but you have a chapter titled Minding Your Mind. And I love mm -hmm. this for two reasons. One, mm -hmm. it helps the reader think about having a game plan to be aware of their mental health, but it also addresses men and their mental health mm -hmm. and having a plan for, you know, when there are triggers or hurtful uh, um, ignorant things that can be said, unexpected emotions that come out. I mean, minding your mind and having a strategy for how to navigate these is so important. Um, I want to address the men, but first, what are some of the things that you um, can help others do as far as minding their mind? So um, there, 
it was, it was really interesting. So reading a lot about trauma and the way the trauma rewires the brain, because um, a lot of pregnancy losses are also considered traumatic losses. And so you're dealing with both grief and you're dealing with trauma, right? So um, just understanding, I, I think, I think, you know, for the reader to come and one, understand why their mind is thinking the way that it is. Why is it operating the way that it is? Just that validation of saying, okay, I'm not crazy. I have not lost myself. Um, there is there is a biological reason why suddenly, you know, this area of my life is more of a struggle or why I can't make really simple decisions like what I want to wear today or what I want for lunch. Like, why is that overwhelming? Okay, well, here's the biological reason why. And so I think first coming to that and understanding, just knowing like, you're not crazy, you know, there, there's a reason. And that can be so validating to just simply understand so that you can accept it and not judge it. Cause if we're so busy judging it, we're not actually moving on to any kind of solution or any kind of coping mechanisms, right? We're just sitting there angry or frustrated um, at, at what we're experiencing in our mind. And so that's not helping us ultimately. And so just saying, okay, it is what it is. Now what? Now what now what can we do? And so we talk a lot about um in the book about grounding exercises and how um how that can help um in the moment. Uh we talk a little bit about simplifying your life um and pre-making decisions uh such as you know, when you're talking about grief triggers and just sort of having that game plan. So such as like, you may go to the grocery store and someone may think you're pregnant. Um, you may still look like you're pregnant. So how are you going to navigate that, that answer? Um, how are you going to navigate when you go to a social event and somebody says, how many kids do you have? Right. We ask that question all the time. So um, the book really talks a little bit about some of those common scenarios and then pre-deciding how you're going to answer and just sort of having a game plan going into it takes that shock factor away. It takes that, you know, that blank, blank, uh, like look on your face or where you're just kind of like, I don't know what to do. It just takes that away and you can just automatically go into a default. Like, this is what I feel comfortable answering. Uh, and so, uh, so navigating grief triggers and then also physiologically how to help your body calm down once you have been triggered. Um, so what are some ways that you can try to get out of that trauma response, um, and, and work around that, you know, more quickly, it eventually you, you will figure it out whether you have some, a game plan or not. But, uh, for some of us, those kinds of triggering events might happen at work or it may happen, um, you know, at a time where you don't have hours to sort of sort through how you feel and sort of get back to where you, where you can function a little bit better. And so like, you know, I know that you, you're a big advocate for game plans. And so, um, so, so I think knowing sort of how to navigate those kinds of events and when it comes up can be, uh, very relieving for a, for a grieving parent. Yeah. I, it's not if it happens, it's when it happens yes. and understanding mm -hmm. that it happens. And, um, and even maybe thinking through some of the scenarios before they happen, can I, I might be wrong, but does it give you some kind of a compassion for when it does happen? You're not as quick to react to the trigger or maybe the, the, the hurtful ignorant comment if you know okay this is what I'm going to be told at some point right yes I do I do think so because uh when you know that it's going to happen like you said it's not quite as shocking um what may be shocking is hearing maybe who says it who, like maybe yeah. Yeah. maybe you might expect you know uh some you know <laughs> busybody at church to like come say something mean, but maybe you're not expecting your own grandmother to say something that's going to trigger you. And so, so to, to some extent, I think it can help soften the blow to know, to expect it. Um, I think uh, what it can do as well is it can give you a measure of control. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we know about trauma is it's that lack of control that perpetuates that traumatic um, response. And so by 
by pre-deciding, um, by coming up with this game plan, you are inserting your will and your measure of control into the situation. And so that can also help alleviate some of those feelings of distress. I really like that. That, that helps even me in, you know, in my life, come up with some ways to handle things when it happens. Um, so like I mentioned a little mm-hmm. bit earlier, it, I think it is so sad that men have less support just all around. Basically men have less to little to none support, Mm -hmm. no support. You mentioned that their grief is not validated in the same way as women's. And that is Mm -hmm. so true. And I'm so happy that you have addressed this. So what are some ways that that we can support the father, the grandfather, the uncles, the brothers, the men that, that lost their first baseball game or their first, you know, Mm -hmm. their, their kids football games, or they've lost um, all the, you know, dad and son moments and papa moments, those times. And what can we do to help those men? Such a good question. I'm so glad that you, that you, you bring that up. I think one of the first things that all of us can do is to recognize that pregnancy loss is not a woman's issue. It is a human issue. And, um, and that means it, yes, it happens to a woman's body and through a woman's body. Um, but it, it also is the loss of a child, you know, for, for the dad. And it, and in some capacities, it can make it a little more challenging or add some more comp- complexity into the loss and into the grief because it's such an ambiguous loss um, or it can feel like an ambiguous loss. And so uh, ambiguous losses are just, can be harder to grieve. And it's also considered a disenfranchised loss, which means society doesn't recognize that it's a loss. And so think about it, like it would be kind of, a, so it, it, you and I, when we, when we woke up this morning, Chances are we looked in the mirror at some point today to get ready for a podcast and we weren't shocked by what we saw, right? Because the mirror reflected our reality back to us. And so we knew what to expect. We were projecting an image and the image was reflected back to us. Uh, For a man who's going through pregnancy loss, he knows his reality. He knows that he's lost a child and he's projecting that reality to the best that he can to the world. And the world is saying, no. It is not your loss. It is a woman's loss. And so the image coming, reflecting back to him is not the one he's projecting. And so that is a, just, just to be so invalidated all the time at, at every moment um, is such a hard, hard thing. So he, uh, men tend to already, and I'm going to have to say 10 because, you know, I could put, we could do lots of like putting grief in boxes just by gender. And I, and I don't want to do that, but for, um, for men, it can be that disenfranchised loss that, that unrecognized that, um, you know, he's portraying this loss and, and society is saying, no, we're not going to support you. We're not going to have anything to do with that. Um, we just want to focus here on your wife. One of the ways that we grief supporters tend to do that is we may start treating the, uh, the partner in this situation as the point person. So when I say point person, I mean the person coordinating that couple's care. Um, the person that's in direct re- you know, relationship, maybe they're updating the GoFundMe, maybe they're posting on social media. We tend to go to the, to the, the guy in the situation or the partner and we say, well, how is your wife doing? What does your wife need from me? How can I help you? And we forget that his brain is also stuck in this trauma response, right? And, um, so just recognizing it's our job as supporters to go to the point person and say, how can I support Mary and Joe? How are Mary and Joe doing? Um, not, Hey Joe, how's Mary? That's a really, um, just practical way. And then also recognizing and affirming to him, I see you. I see your loss. I see that this affects you. I give you permission to be real with me. I want to, to affirm that. And then, and then to recognize, um, you know, there's these two different kinds of grief styles I talk about in my book and two different kinds of needs that, um, that, 
people meet in grief and uh, women tend, <laughs> generality, tend to sort of swing in one direction a little bit on the continuum and men tend to go in the other direction. And I think as society, what we need to embrace is that both styles are equally valid. So maybe we believe that grief looks like crying and it, and it feels, and it looks like labeling emotions and it looks like sitting around a circle and saying, I'm so sad. Um, and then there is this uh, instrumental style. This is, I don't need to necessarily feel something. I need to think about what this loss means to me. I need to do something with all this emotion in my body. I need to go for a hike. I need to saw, or I need to, you know, like it doesn't have to be a manly thing per se, but just physically embrace the grief and like, get it out. Um, one of the people I quote in my book says, it's like, it's like converting your tears into sweat. Um, and so for all of us in society to start recognizing grief can look a lot of ways. And, um, it's important to, to take someone at their word when they say like, this is what I need in grief rather than challenging it um, to say, okay, I, I affirm that and I will you know, do what I can to help you meet that need in your grief. I, I love how you say turn your tears into sweat. And I had a replay of uh, mm. my daughter suffered a traumatic injury when she was five. Mm. And all of a sudden, all I could do was iron. I started ironing everything. I started ironing sheets and pillowcases. I had this ironing and ironing. And I got mad when people told me, you just need to stop doing that and just relax. And, and just, you know, um, they didn't want me to work. They wanted me to just sit. And I don't sit in grief. I have to process it that way. And so I didn't mm -hmm. like them telling me to stop it. You know, and I and I love that you recognize that, and and I hope if someone's listening, they can recognize that in someone else or even in themselves, and maybe, you know, iron along with the person. Or exactly, exactly. <laughs> Join uh, them in it, and for for goodness sake, don't judge it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like how you said that. So, in your book, you acknowledge um, that you have you are a Christian. You have faith in your mm -hmm. in your walk. But you also acknowledge a reader that might not have the same faith and you acknowledge your struggle with God and your struggle with faith, but you extend so much grace to people that might not have the same faith or any faith. So why does faith in the light of loss not always look like faith and why is that okay? Oh, such a good question. Um... I mean, a very simplistic answer of why, why does faith not always look like faith? It's, it's very simplistic is because I think we, we paint the picture of faith. Like it's just so incomplete the way that we typically say faith should look like, um, very, you know, very, uh, concrete example, I guess. People sometimes would say to me like, well, you just have to trust God you know, in this last, or trust his timing, or you just have to let go and let God, right? Mm -hmm. So like, we have this idea that, that the most, like the, maybe the best way that we can show God our faith is to say the words that we think he wants to hear. But the, the issue with that is, God already knows what we're thinking. He already knows what we're feeling. And so saying something that we're not actually believing is lying to God, right? Um, and it's doing so under this context that our relationship with God is somehow threatened. Like when we lie to people, usually the reason for the lie is to, to uh repair that relationship. We don't want to disappoint that person. And so, but it, the context of that is that this relationship is not as safe um, for me to actually embrace who I am and what I feel and what I'm going through. Um, 
it's this concept that we maybe need to protect God from ourselves, from our messy, yucky, imperfect, um, struggling selves. And so I would say um, it's, it's just so much more of a greater act of faith in a relationship. Like, let's say you and I were having a difficulty. It, it would show more the strength of our relationship if I said, Sherry, you did this thing and it really hurt my feelings and I'm going to need to sit with this for a while. And, you know, we'll, we'll circle back. But like, I, if I were to be very direct with you, that would be a greater act of my faith in our relationship than for me to have said, Sherry, everything is just perfectly fine. And especially if I knew not everything was perfectly fine, especially if I was seething inside and I knew that I was going to, you know, get off the phone with you and I was going to go call my friend and be like, can you believe what Sherry did? (laughs) Right. So there's this, um, we know this in relationship that it is a, a, a greater act of faith in that relationship to be honest and to be transparent and to work through our issues. But when it comes to God, um, you know, we, we forget, we think we have to perform for him and we don't, that's not what a relationship is. A relationship is not a performance. Um, it's, it's saying, Hey, this is a safe place. This is a place where I can be me and I can be real and I can let you in to that. And so in my opinion, I, I just think it's a, it's a greater act of faith to say, God, he, I feel like you betrayed me. I am so angry with you right now. I do not understand. You had the power to save my baby and you didn't. And I am pissed off at that. And I might be pissed off for the next five years. <laughs> you know, like yeah. that is a greater act of saying, like, I actually trust you in, in some capacity to, to let you into my feelings and to let you see the me that I really am not the me that I think you want me to be. Um, so I think that that's really why it's important. And, and, you know, I, I share this example of Job in my book. I go through it a little bit more in detail than I'll go through it here with you. But um, when we Christians tend to look at the book of Job, we see it as the example of basically the perfect sufferer. And we stop at chapter two. Uh, you know, we, we see, we, we think we know why the losses happened to Job. We understand that he did not accuse God of, of wrongdoing. We feel like he's passed his test and we're like, we're, we're good. We don't need any more. Like, why are there so many chapters in the book of Job? Why are there 42 chapters? We're, you know, we're at 40, we're good. And uh, the reality is though, that God has created all of this space. I mean, when you think about how big a Bible is, and if that's supposed to be all of God's word for all of, all of time, if you think about just how much real estate that is to have that many chapters just dedicated to wrestling, that should tell us something about God's value and us wrestling with him and wrestling with what does our faith look like in light of suffering, in light of questioning, in light of pain, and in light of our humanity. Um, and you know, and ultimately God or Job does accuse God of wrongdoing. And was was God super, 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 you know, comforting and, and sort of like coming at him maternally? Uh, no, not necessarily. That's not at least how, when I read the text, that's sort of not really the tone that I get from him. But ultimately, what God says is he says, let me show you more of who I am, right? So, so, so Job wrestled, he was being honest, He was being transparent and he emerged from that with a greater understanding of who God was. And God reserves in the end, he reserves his harshest criticism for those who were so busy trying to give the answers. They never had time for the questions. So I just think that, you know, God himself has, has given us permission to wrestle and to say, um, you know, this is real. And I think, embracing the fact that these losses are not tests of our faith. Mm-hmm. Um, God is not a cruel God who torments us and then just says, well, you know, now show me how much you love me. Um, but he is a God who is willing to hold space for us and hold space for our humanity. 
I really like that picture. Um, and I like that, that concept of Job because, you know, when you grow up in a faith home and you hear the story of Job and you read, you're right, you, you know, you hear it, but you don't hear the, the second, the last part, like you said, and it was just so profound to hear that mm -hmm. and, and to understand that, um, God, God is in pain with you. He's in pain mm -hmm. with the loss that you lost. He's in pain with the, this, this world in general. And, mm -hmm. um, and he's okay that you're in pain and angry about it. We should be angry about this world and what it holds. And, and I love that analogy of a good friendship, mm -hmm. you know, absolutely to say, this is not, I don't like this. This is not good. Mm -hmm. It's not right. And it's true. Um, I've mentioned earlier that mm -hmm. I have many friends that have lost children and I feel helpless. I, I know there's nothing I can do. And that's, I think that's mm -hmm. one of the reasons we say things that are ignorant and hurtful, or um, maybe, mm -hmm. you know, men are uh, fixers, solvers, um, and they can't solve it. Mm -hmm. So they don't know how to go to their um, friends, their male friends, and do anything to solve it. It's just, it's such a helpless feeling. And so I know that, you know, I don't know what to say. And sometimes not saying anything is bad, but then I'm scared. <laughs> I'm scared to say something that could seem shallow or from a place of not truly knowing what they're feeling. And you have a whole chapter on these hurtful words that are said. So why do words that are said with really good intention to comfort actually offer pain and how can we best comfort and support someone that we love who lo who has lost a child um that <laughs> i keep telling you you keep asking questions like oh that's a good question um let me start by saying i i wrote an entire chapter on this that is a bonus chapter it is not in the book it is a pre-order bonus, which means if you pre-order the book by August 10th. So for those of you who are watching, like maybe I'll maybe I'll keep it up for a couple of extra days. But if you go to my website, unexpectingbook.com, um, right on the landing page, there's a form. You can put in your information there. And uh, what you'll get is a chapter called How to Help a Loved One Through Baby Loss. Mm -hmm. And uh, the reason I wrote that chapter and I felt like it was just so important to have is because that is the most common question that I get um, as someone in the baby loss community is my loved one just had this. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Can you please help me? And um, I think um, our intentions are so good, right? We have we have both this this desire to say something helpful and and comforting, and we also have this fear and this pressure to make sure we don't say something wrong. And that is just, that's a lot of pressure for those of us who are comforting somebody else to put ourselves under, you know, to think I need to come up with something wise and something good and something hopeful and something strong. And I also need to make sure I don't hurt them in the process. And that can be paralyzing. And um, so my good news is all of that pressure, you can just, you can just set it aside. <laughs> um, the good news is none of your, none of your loved ones are looking to you for an answer on their loss. Mm. Um, they are not looking to you for hope. They are not looking to you for a way for them to move forward. Mm. Um, in a sense, they want you to be their mirror. And, and that can be really hard in the sense that um, that requires us to just sit and be still and be present and allow them to project their reality without judging it. Um, but in a sense too, that's so, it's so simple. It is doable, right? Um, that we can, we can ask the question, how are you doing? Or I'm here and I would love to hear more about your baby. If you ever want to share with me about your baby, I would just be so honored to hear. Mm -hmm. Or um, I can only imagine what you must have physically gone through. Um, I probably will never be able to fully know. But if you ever want to talk through your birth experience with me, I just would be so honored to just listen, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and hear what that was like for you. Uh, so 
so being able to just let that person be seen. I often like to go to, uh, I'm not sure if you, have you heard of Dr. Bessel van der Kolk? He wrote the book, The Body Keeps the Score. Oh, I heard about that. Part, um, yeah. It's a very, yes, yes, yes. It's a very good and heady book. <laughs> but there is this one quote in there that I I just loved. And he talks about the definition of, of social support. And he said, the reason that social support is so important is like the, the number one thing that, a, that uh, can make the difference between whether an event is more traumatic, you know, increases that trauma, or if it helps heal the trauma that already happened. And, you know, statistically speaking, social support is that one thing. And then he says, so what is social support? It's that feeling of reciprocity. Um, it's being, it's allowing that person to be heard, to be seen, to be held in the safety of someone else's mind. And to just create that visceral feeling of safety. And so in my chapter, I talk through each one of those things. And just to give principles, because I, I feel like I could give a really long list of make sure you do this or make sure you don't do that. But that's just going to perpetuate that paralysis, right? Of that, mm -hmm. that overwhelm of like, I just, I have to get this right. So instead, I just wanted to focus on principles. Like here's some ways that you can make sure your loved one um, feels seen, they feel heard, their, their physical needs are taken care of, that you've, you've given their body that physiologically, physiological feeling of safety, that visceral, uh, visceral feeling, and, and you're allowing them to feel held in your mind. And, um, and just, and that social support is, is the, is the most important thing. And, you know, I, I share that in the chapter, like, my words, my words, I hope are helpful and I hope that they are healing, but until they are wrapped up in a human touch, they're limited, right? Mm -hmm. So I need <laughs> for loved ones. If you read my book, <laughs> if you read my book, um, take, take my words and wrap them in, in your human touch, right? And, and, and in that relationship that only you have that I could never, that I can never touch, just know how important your social support is. And then I would say no to that, um, you know, I think sometimes the reason our words are hurting when we intend for them to be comforting is um, we feel so helpless when we're trying to help someone through baby loss because the situation itself is unfixable um, because we can't bring back that baby. We can't rewind time and we feel so powerless to fix the situation, but we feel some power in the sense, maybe I could fix their grief. Maybe I could fix that person. And so I think we, we, you know, unintentionally sort of, sort of do that. We just try to say, well, maybe if you look at it like this, insert blank, 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 you know, or maybe if you stop ironing and just rest, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe if you um, stop working so much, I think that you are, um, you know, you're, un you're dealing unhealthily. Um, you know, we, we just, we try to fix the person because we think, we think we know what they need. Um, but instead it's, it's letting, it's allowing, it's allowing them to, uh, to heal. I kind of say, it's like, you know, we have, we have a really bad scrape. Um, it's like you, you know, you, you clean it out, you, you put Neosporin on, you put a bandaid, um, when you do that to somebody else, um, you're, you're not healing them. Mm -hmm. You're creating an environment in which healing is possible. So when we come to someone else's grief and their, their wound is raw, um, our job is not to heal their grief. Our job is simply to create an environment in which they can heal. Mm -hmm. And so I think just taking that approach um, and, and sort of embracing that principle can be really, really helpful. That is helpful. Thank you, Sam. Thank you for that. So I love the concept of, of a legacy. And I have to admit, I had never really thought of that and how powerful it is. So as we close, I would love if you would share with the listener who has lost a precious child, why mm -hmm. a legacy matters and what, what have you done as a legacy? Not, not only to Olivia, but I, I don't know with your other 
you know, children that were lost mm -hmm. and, and um, reunified with family. How did you, how do you go about creating a legacy for them? Well, um, when I talk about, uh, when I talk a lot about legacy, um, I think it's really, really important to, you know, just, just come out of the bat and, and you know, and say, a legacy is not why your baby died. Um, even if you create the most beautiful, meaningful thing out from this loss, it doesn't justify your loss. It doesn't make your loss okay. And it doesn't mean that's why your baby had to die. So you could do X, Y, Z, you know, Olivia didn't, Olivia's whole purpose in life was not so I could write this book. Um, you know, it didn't make, this doesn't make the loss of her and the loss of my other four babies. Okay. Um, so that's what, it, that's what a legacy is not. <laughs> uh, what a legacy is, is, is simply one of many ways to answer the question, what now? Uh, I, I use this analogy of Mount St. Helens in, uh, in that chapter to talk a little bit about, um, you know, the eruption of grief in our life, and the devastation that it leaves. And like Mount St. Helens, when, when all the dust settled, you know, scientists were looking, were asking each other, what now? What comes next? What do we do? And um, as, as you know, if you look at Mount St. Helens now, you can, it's, it's not the same mountain it was right after the, right after the eruption. Um, there's been regrowth, there's been beauty that has come from from the ashes and uh you know in in part because scientists ask that question what now so so there is beauty that can incorporate our losses um as we move forward with our loss in our lives and uh i think in some part that can be a gift our babies give us mm. um you know, maybe, maybe I have a whole new appreciation for, for life, for the fragility of life. Maybe I have a whole new appreciation for health. Maybe I have, um, you know, or maybe, maybe I just take moments in my day and just, you know, notice beauty around me. Like there's things that our losses can, and our experiences losses can, can give us, you know, gifts if we, if we let it. Um, and I think we, there's also this other component where we give our babies a legacy. We, we try to create some purpose from our pain and, uh, and, it, and I think it's less of a, you know, you have to do this as much as it is, you know, this is one way to cope. Um, this could this could help bring some healing to you. I think, you know, initially I joined the, the support group that I was working in, um, or that I, sorry, the support group that I went to initially after my loss that helped me heal sort of initially, I eventually became an assistant uh, to the chapter director and helped run the support groups with her and, and facilitate discussions around loss. And the reason was because I needed to create some meaning um, I also uh, blogged about my losses because one of the ways that I felt most comforted to read the stories of other people that had gone before me and to know that they survived and so that I could too. So, um, so what I chose to do is to write on my blog very candidly about what I was going through through my losses. And that was one of the ways that I sort of created this legacy for my babies is because as I was working through my own grief, I was also helping some other women walk through hers. And, uh, and I think legacies can look in, they can look all kinds of ways. They don't directly have to relate to pregnancy loss, um, or baby loss or even death or grief. Um, it can look a million, it can look a million different ways, but, uh, those legacies that we that we leave that's it's it's the um it's the regrowth it's mm. taking what is completely devastated and saying um you know i want i still want to see beauty here i i i don't want my life to remain 
um, you know, just this, you know, exactly how I, I was right after the eruption. And I, and I think it's, it's really important too, that there's no timeline associated with this. Um, if, if you wanted to create a legacy for your baby, you could do it, you know, the moment of your loss, or you could wait until you're 99 years old and um, say, you know, this is, this happened a long time ago. And this is something I want to do um, because of my experience here. And, and, and both of those responses are perfectly okay. And then even to say, I don't know that I, I don't know that that's for me. That's okay too. So, um, so again, this is just one way forward. It's not the only way forward. All of that is so powerful. And I just, I can't thank you enough for spending time out of your busy day. <laughs> your busy day fun day to, to share with me because it, it has just been such a blessing to read and um, and even apply um, into losses that I've had, even if it hasn't been a child loss, but er other areas of loss that I've, that I've experienced and I'm sure the listener has experienced. And then again, with friends that have gone through this. And I'm just so, I'm just so thankful that you spent time with me. I'm honored to have be able to call you friend. And I look forward to um, getting this book out there. And I just want to thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you so much, Sherry, for having me. It's just been, it's been such an honor. Well, congratulations. Thank you. It is my prayer that this time with Rachel has brought some comfort and some healing if you have lost a child or if someone that you have loved has lost a child maybe this helps you with some ideas on how you can comfort them there were so many topics that rachel and i did not have time to cover in this episode so i hope that you'll go online buy your own copy and even an extra one to give to someone who needs to know that they are not alone Links to connect with Rachel, her online community, and to buy this book are in the show notes. Have you subscribed to this podcast? If not, please do so. That way you do not miss any up and coming episodes. And I value your feedback. When you leave a rating and a review, it helps to get the word out about the podcast. It also lets me know how I can continue to serve you. During today's episode, did a friend come to mind who you know would be blessed? If so, I would love it if you'd share a link with them. Listeners like you sharing links with others is how this podcast can reach more people. I'd love to hear from you. Ways to connect with me are in the show notes or simply at sherryfletcher.com. Thanks again for listening to Your Spiritual Game Plan, the podcast that shares God's plan and your purpose in it.